Welcome to Orioles on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to touch on the Orioles outfield depth going into the 2024 season. At the major league level, things are still pretty crowded. The returning starters of Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Anthony Santander are all still in Baltimore. Ryan McKenna remains on the 40-man roster, as does Heston Kerstad, who looked good during a late-season cameo. The Orioles do have some other options, though, so we're going to talk about them tonight as well as discuss how things could shake out if and when or when the Orioles do pull off a move this offseason. And I'm going to start with Nick on this episode because the whole reason this topic came about was that Nick told Bob and I that he has more to say on Colton Cowser, who right now is on the Orioles' 40-man roster, coming off a good year at Norfolk, but struggled in the major leagues last year and not guaranteed of a spot on the opening day roster. So, Nick, what do you want to uh, talk about tonight in regards to Colton Cowser? So I was actually thinking about Kowser, including him on his uh, as part of the the breakout players, right? Just because it's kind of a unique situation with Kowser because you look at his AAA numbers, right? He hit 300. He had a 417 on base percentage. The, the kid's career on base percentage in the minor leagues is just astronomical. Had a 136 WRC plus, 17 home runs. I mean, he was even one stolen base shy of double-digit steals in AAA. But I don't think very many people remember when they think about Kowser's 2023 season, I don't think very many people think about those numbers or remember those numbers. They don't remember that catch of the year when he crashed into the wall at Harbor park. They don't remember the 455 foot just nuke of a grand slam that he hit in the triple A championship game. Like none of that. They just remember the Kowser who played in 26 games, at the big league level and hit a buck 15. And I like that's fair. Like that's honestly kind of a fair assessment there. I don't I don't blame people if that's what you remember most. But I I think Kowser, honestly, we just did the bounce back candidate episode. I think Kowser could be the biggest bounce back candidate in terms of he's going to show us more in the major leagues this year. And this is all assuming that he's not traded, right? Assuming Kowser is still here in Baltimore and he has a role here or try is given an opportunity to have a role here in Baltimore. I think Kowser can secure a role here with the Orioles if he's not moved. But I'm kind of changing the way that I view Kowser and what his role in the majors could be. Like, could he be an everyday starting outfielder in the big leagues? No doubt. I think he has the tools and the ability to do that. I hope that's the Colton Kowser we ultimately see. But honestly, I think my expectation for Kowser is if he can just settle in in you know a platoon role, that fourth outfield role that plays you know replaces McKenna but plays a lot more than McKenna. Assuming the outfield entering 2024, like no trades happen, and it's Hayes, Mullen, Santander, and Kowser is traded, I think if Kowser works his way into the fourth outfield role, he can play all three outfield spots. He's going to be able to handle left field as well. I think he can be super successful in that role. And maybe it's not immediately. Maybe it takes a month or two into the year before he gets that firm grip on that role. But he's continuing to walk at a high rate. And I think that underrated power is going to shine through more and I know some people would be like, well, he's a first round draft pick. He better take over full time, you know, left field duties or some outfield duty. If you can't overtake Austin Hayes, like he's, you're a failed prospect. He's a bust. And I, I think you'd be completely wrong, like in that assessment. Like 
should the Orioles have taken Jordan Lawler or Brady House instead of saving the money on Kowser to get John Rhodes and Creed Willems, who were like the only two overslot guys the first 10 rounds of that draft? Probably. I would really enjoy a Jordan Lawler in this organization, not going to lie. But who wouldn't have loved that? But the success rate of draft picks to become viable major leaguers is so incredibly low. And if Kowser's ceiling is like this platoon fourth outfield type who gets on base at a high clip, plays good defense and hits 20 or more home runs a year. I think that's a big success. I just think maybe expectations, everybody's wanting him to like take Cedric Mullins role or something. I don't know, but like, I don't, I don't want to say like I'm moving the goalpost with Kowser. I just think he can still find a very valuable role on this organization. Seeing if, if no moves are made and you look at some of the other numbers too, like his 90th percentile exit velo of 105 miles per hour, like matches that of Heston Kerstad. He's just a tick below Jordan Westberg and Kobe Mayo and Kyle Stowers. Like when John Mioli came on, it was like the Orioles think there's more power there and they're probably going to try to tap into that. That's why, because he hits the ball really, really hard. I think he was like head and shoulders above his peers in the minors in terms of like barrel rate, consistently hitting the ball hard. I just think there's lots of love here with Colton Kowser, and it's okay that he didn't show that in his first taste. He got to reset in AAA. He can clear his head this offseason, inner spring training, knowing exactly what he needs to do in the big leagues now. And I'm I'm banking on Kowser taking over that role. And maybe it's not a starter every single day, but some sort of role where he provides tremendous value to this organization. Maybe that value is that he's traded for an ace, which is a whole different story. But again, if he's on this roster come opening day, I, I see it happening. I really could see it happening with Kowser. Well said. Well mm -hmm. said. Um, first of all, mm -hmm. career 420 on-base percentage in the minor leagues over 1,174 plate appearances in 257 games. So that's not not too shabby there. Um, yeah, I I have him. I think he's still firmly in the Orioles' plans unless, of course, he's traded by the time this episode is released. Um, but, yeah, I think – there's a reason that he was kept just under the threshold for rookie of the year. That tells me he will make the opening day roster for the Orioles to be remain rookie of the year eligible unless he's traded, of course. But to me, he's going to start the year as if Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Anthony Santander are all in the outfield. I see Heston Kerstad as like a DH, play some first base, maybe some right field on occasion while Kowser takes over McKenna's role where he can be the second center fielder in left field. Uh, he could be, you know, every other righty that we face, he could start in left field over Austin Hayes to begin the year. He could give Cedric Mullins a day off maybe once a week early on. And then as he gets comfortable, gets more playing time, maybe he's just the strong side platoon in left field with Austin Hayes. Then maybe Austin Hayes is traded at the deadline and he's the regular left fielder. I think he's going to just have to build into the role that Orioles fans wanted to push him out there immediately to be um, because we know his defense is better than he showed at the major leagues last year. We know obviously he's not going to bat 115. I mean, that's insane. Um, he's going to get on base at least 350 clip as we talked about last week when we were just talking about um, rookie of the year potentials. Um, yeah, I think he, he can steal. He's like a five tool Nick Markakis type where he, he does everything. Well, the one thing he does incredibly well is get on base, 
but he does everything else well. He can hit for some power. He can give you some speed, some defense. He's got a decent arm out there. Maybe not Austin Hayes. Austin Hayes has a cannon. But, uh, yeah, I'm still solidly on Colton Kowser as bounce-back candidate 2024 at the major league level. And, yeah, I think, honestly, if I was going to trade one player between Heston Kersad and Colton Kowser for just say Dylan Cease or, or another ace slash middle to top of the rotation starter. I'm trading Heston Kershaw before I trade Colton Kowser. One quick note about the outfield arm though. Like look at his baseball savant page, his outfield arm strength, 92nd percentile in major leagues last year. So like he's still got a pretty strong arm as well. Like, which is something that I honestly had no idea. And so I looked it up earlier today, prepping for the show. I was like, Oh damn, that's that's impressive. I did not think he had that either. I think yeah. he's sneaky. He doesn't look like a guy who's going to be like super athletic and steal a bunch of bases and fly around center field. And maybe he doesn't like fly around center field, but he holds his own and he's got a cannon of his own and he'll still bases as well. Like he's don't let the, the mustache kind of dad bot ish body that he's got like fool you. The, the guy can play. The guy can fly. That is surprising in a good way. I did not know it was that good. I knew it was decent, but nay. Yeah, that's that's surprising. And yeah, he kind of is, he looks lackadaisical. I think he's just relaxed and confident yeah. in his motions. And yeah, why uh, look like you're running fast when you could just run fast and look like you're not and throw strong, throw, throw the ball hard when it looks like you're just lobbing it. Given how we've seen the Orioles ease prospects in, or at least some of their prospects over the last couple of years, I think their hand got forced with the way that they use Colton Calder. Calder was only up in the major leagues last year for a little over a month. He played in 26 games. And injuries to Cedric Mullins and Aaron Hicks, I think, led to the Orioles using Calder in center field way more than they would have liked to. Ten of his 26 games came in center field. I think if they had had their ideal, he would have seen very little of center field in that time. And if he had stuck in the major leagues all year, and that had been alongside a healthy Cedric Mullins and a healthy Aaron Hicks, I think he barely would have been in center field. But they had to have that defensive adjustment right away because of an emergency. And so he didn't get that runway that some other players have had while going and focus on your offense while playing a position that you know we know you can easily play before you start making the adjustment to the tougher position, which in this case is center field. I still think that all of the things that are good about Colton Cowser are absolutely there. Great uh, strike zone judgment, can get on base, has a really strong arm. He is probably going to end up in a corner spot, but he can more than hold his own in center field. And I don't think he's ever going to be that corner bat that has a 30 home run season. But in a good year, 20, 22 home runs, definitely in the realm of possibility. So, What I would say to Orioles fans who might have been discouraged last year, that call-up showed that he has a lot that he needed to work on. But remember that he probably got forced into action a little bit more than the Orioles would have liked. I think it's that point you brought up. It's very similar to the Joey Ortiz situation as well. We can just move everything back to a Joey Ortiz comparison here. Um, But... People are like, oh, Joey Ortiz didn't get a real number. Joey Ortiz didn't get a hype video. Uh, Joey Ortiz couldn't beat this guy out. That tells you where he stands in the organization. Like, that's kind of, that. no, that's, I think it's kind of irrelevant. 
uh, it's because the Orioles were forced to bring him up. And it was a really good opportunity at that situation. You know, a bunch of lefties coming up or whatever. That was just prime opportunity. Joey Ortiz was not ready. I don't think the Orioles wanted Joey Ortiz in the major leagues at that point. We've talked about this before. All the time he's missed, all the injuries uh, that sort of lingered, just the lack of minor league experience for Ortiz, he didn't have that. So he wasn't ready. I think that's the same thing with Colton Kowser. He wasn't ready. I Like Zach said, the Orioles cut. The injuries kind of forced their hand, and Kowser had to play more center field than they wanted him to. You look at Jordan Westberg, like they eased Jordan Westberg into this thing, and look how well he played. You, you, they brought up Heston Kerstad. They didn't put him in the lineup every single day automatically. Uh, they really eased him into this as well, and he didn't have that extended time to really settle in, and we see what he can do. But maybe we see that next year where he comes out hot next year to start the season if he's on the major league roster because they got to do their process with them. I think the process was really rushed with Kowser and Ortiz, and hopefully next year's the, this offseason has been a, a big reset for both of these guys. And then it's a good place to segue over to our discussion of the outfield as a whole because we've now mentioned some of these names. But if you look at the Orioles' 40-man roster right now, the outfielders that are listed are Kowser alongside Austin Hayes, Sam Hilliard, a left-handed hitter that the Orioles picked up, I believe, on waivers from the Braves. Kerstad, Ryan McKenna, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, and then Kyle Stowers. I think we know that as long as this group stays intact, that the starting three is going to continue to be Hayes, Mullins, and Santander in the outfield, at least in the early part of the year. But as you guys, and I'll start with Bob here, as you look at the other players in that grouping, how do you see them fitting in? Yeah, I do wonder, um, McKenna out of options, as long as everyone is still here come spring training, I think he will be a DFA candidate before opening day. Um, and Sam Hilliard, similar to me, except I wonder if he could sneak through waivers if you put him there at the right time, get him down to AAA and have another option. But I think... Hilliard especially was claimed slash signed just in case like you need to trade a Kowser, you need to trade a Kerstad to upgrade your pitching staff. He's a guy who's good on defense, can play all three outfield positions, got some pop as well, former prospect himself. And, you know, I like him better than McKenna, but it it's, you know, it's just in case you need someone to be a fourth slash fifth outfielder. He gives you that option. So I think the Orioles really set themselves up to negotiate, you know, don't get stuck on, okay, we need to trade this prospect slash player in a trade. If we're going to do it, they can, they can be flexible. They can change their plan as need arises. And I think another point we're going to bring up soon about Kobe Mayo without getting into it, it kind of leads to that as well along the same lines. Yeah. I'm looking at, Fangraph's roster resource page is is interesting because like they have you know Gunnar Adley, Santander, Ryan O'Hearn at first base, Hayes, Mullins, Mountcastle DH, Jackson Holiday at short, Jordan Westberg at second. You can finagle with the where Henderson, Holiday, and Westberg play, obviously, on the infield, but still that's your lineup. And then the bench of James McCann, Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateo, and Sam Hilliard. So no cows or no Kerstad. Um it, it does present an interesting option. I do th- agree with Bob. Like Hilliard was the in case of emergency guy. You like him. 
you really like him as a player and what he can bring to the organization, just bring him in the offseason, keep him on the 40 man as long as you can. And when it's time to make moves, he's kind of the guy that's expendable. You hope he can sneak through waivers and you put him in AAA and he accepts the assignment. If not, oh well, like he was there as a safety net. But I do wonder, like, if Jackson Holiday is on the major league roster, like, and Jorge Mateo is still on this roster, and Ramona Reyes is still on this roster, like, and Ryan McKenna is still on this roster, like, how do you fit all of these guys on this 26 man roster? I'm glad I don't have to make this decision, is all I have to say. But I, I think this is where you get to the point where it's like, listening to a lot of other podcasts recently, uh, it's been a lot of people getting antsy with the Orioles. It's not just Orioles fans anymore. I think from the national perspective, even more so, you're starting to see even more uh, angst as far as just trade these prospects, right? Make a trade already because you've got so much talent. There's no denying that, but you've got to make a move. And Elias is holding firm on those trades, waiting for other teams to budge. So you don't have to give up the May. You don't have to give up the Basayu. You don't have to give up the extreme pieces. But I... I do kind of agree, though. You've kind of reached this point where it's like something's got to give because all these guys aren't going to fit on this roster. And I don't see any way you can make that puzzle work if everybody's returning in the roster stands as is right now. Yeah, I agree. And that's something we're definitely going to touch on in this discussion. When I, if I look at this current group and if they're all coming back, I don't know how you can leave Kerstad off the roster given that he did hit fairly well over that limited sample size in the major leagues at the end of the year, and you put him on the postseason roster, to me, that's a good sign for Kerstad going into 2024. But another name you got to throw into that mix is Ryan O'Hearn. He's still on the roster. And that's someone who's your first base D8 supplemental corner outfielder who can hit from the left side, and he's coming off a good year. And then this is where I struggle with Ryan McKenna. The Orioles rely on Ryan McKenna as the platoon option when there's a left-hander on the mound that Cedric Mullins can't touch. And sometimes when Cedric Mullins gets into a slump, he can't touch a lefty in the major leagues. When you look at McKenna's platoon splits, he's not necessarily a better left-hand. He's not necessarily better against left-handed pitching than he is against right-handed pitching. And I tend to think McKenna is one of those players that Orioles fans overanalyze. His supporters overhype him. His detractors make him out to be much worse than he actually is. He's a fine backup outfielder who happens to hit from the right side. He just isn't that automatic platoon option that he is sometimes used as. Knowing, though, that that's how the Orioles have used McKenna and there's not really another righty that could plug into that role, I kind of wonder if he makes the opening day roster and once Kowser forces their hand or whoever forces their hand in the minor leagues, he is DFA'd. But I just wouldn't be shocked if he's on the opening day roster. Definitely wouldn't be shocked. Would be a little surprised and a little disappointed, but your 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 analysis was spot on. I think you know the fact that he is used against tough lefties for the most part, and he's sparing playing time. I mean, that's in especially because he's not like like you said, some big lefty crusher, um, like a Steve Pierce or something. He his numbers of course are not going to look good. Like he's not getting consistent playing time. He's not facing the 
the generic relievers of the world, you know, the mediocre right-handed starters of the world. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but I think we should get into Kobe Mayo here because I think Rod Kubako reported that he was told or he is seeing reps in right field this offseason trying to get the outfield defense down heading into spring training to give him and the team more options to get his bat in the lineup. And I think that's smart of the team. I think it's good for him to have his versatility. And to me, that, again, is pointing to if we need to trade Heston Kerstad to get Dylan Cease, Jesus Luzardo, whoever, Corbin Burns, we have another option to put at right field first base DH just like Kerstad is and also could play third base. I think that also allows you to expand – your bench in a way by having more guys that can play more positions. And uh, I just remembered that we've seen Ryan Mountcastle's name pop up in trade talks here and there, not a lot, but I've seen his name mentioned. Maybe he's the guy. And then you also have Kobe Mayo and Ryan O'Hearn can split first base maybe a little bit. I don't know how it's, there's so many possibilities. Something has to happen, right? Right, guys? <laughs> just make a freaking trade. Just do something. <laughs> Because this is like pissing me off again. We're back to like where we were at the end of last off season, where it's like, how do we put all these pieces together? And like everyone has different opinions on how this is going to work, but there's just so many moving parts. It's like, God, just trade who you have, to, whoever you have to trade to at this point. Let's just clear up this jam and let's figure out what this roster is going to be. But like with Mayo, it, I think it's one of two things. It's either it. I do think that with Mayo, this organization does not want to trade him. And if if they are going to trade him, like I said before, the price tag is incredibly high and the Orioles have no reason to move off that price right now. He's so young. He was so dominant at AAA. Like, call it prospect hoarding, whatever you want to. I'm fine with doing that with Kobe Mayo right now for this year. Keep that as price tag astronomically high. Deservedly so. But I think with Mayo, it's it's two things. Either you learn right field now, you get more reps in the outfield, and in hopes of, from an organizational standpoint, you're trading Kowser or Kerstad. If I'm choosing between those two, I, I would hope that the organization could pull off the trade with Kerstad probably, and I prefer to keep Kowser in the organization over Kerstad if I'm being honest, if I have to choose between the two. Because of the multiple different roles that Kowser can fill, even though I think I think Kerstad's defense is probably on, on par with like Santander in the future where it's like, is it really that bad? Um, or do we just like the Ryan McKenna situation? We should overanalyze it. I don't know. But with Mayo, it's if we do end up trading one of these outfielders, well, now you have Mayo who is going to be major league ready very soon. If he's not major league ready at a spring training, he can play the outfield. He can play third base. He can play first base. He gives you a ton of positional flexibility. Great. Um, fills multiple roles. Or they're planning on keeping both these guys, these outfielders, and or a trade's not going to materialize. Maybe the hope isn't that they keep both the outfielders, but a trade just doesn't materialize for those guys. And it's kind of another reason, like I mentioned before with the, the rookie of the year race talk, it's another reason for them to keep Mayo down until the end of the year where they say, we want his outfield defense to be ready in case he does come up next year. The defense at third base, we can work on some things. Yes, the bat's ready, but we got to work on this defense first. We'll see him up in, you know, 
August or something. I think it could go either way, but ideally it's there's a move, we get more clarity, and it'd be great to see Mayo up there filling multiple different roles at the major league level a month or two into the season. Yeah, that's the frustrating scenario I hate that you laid out that is definitely not impossible, <laughs> I will say. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it could go either way. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Mayo would force the Orioles' hand, but at the same time, we know that defense in the minor leagues really isn't quantifiable at all. And you can always say, player needs to work on X. Now, I think there's been times when the Orioles have been right about that to my Jones, but Mayo is not to my Jones. And um, I, I'm sure that if he gets regular reps in right field next year, he's going to adjust. And by June or July, maybe sooner, people are going to be pounding the table for him to be in the major leagues because he's a right-handed bat with that kind of power. You're going to want him as part of the 2025 team. And I do agree with Nick. I think the Orioles right now, and the reason we haven't seen a deal materialize, um, is that the Orioles probably don't want to move past Holiday, number one, we know that's a given, and then Visayo and Mayo. I'd have to imagine they're trying their hardest to keep those three off the table. In trade talks, and from what we've seen so far, the White Sox aren't budging from their high price tag on Dylan Cease. And I have to think that the price tag for Jesus Lazardo is certainly higher. And the price tag for Framber Valdez, to, to what extent he's available, has to be pretty high too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we just saw tonight MLB Pipeline did their little uh, front office interviews or whatever. And w- without even being close, the Orioles were voted the number one farm system. 79% of executives said the Orioles had the best farm system. The next highest was 4%. And a lot of that reason is that those guys at the top, Holiday, Mayo, Pasayo, those guys at the top of these rankings are like, they hit way more than the guys, say, 36 to 100. Like the guys at the top, they're they're franchise players. And I think you got to try the best you can, unless you're going to get, you know, Framber Valdez or Yuri Perez from the Marlins. Um which would they'd be crazy to trade him? Uh, then you got to keep these guys any way possible. And I'm glad the Orioles are just holding their ground and saying, "Look, you're not going to get a better offer, even if we're offering you our fifth and eighth best prospects. That would be like the first or second and third and fourth best prospect from another team. So come back to us and see if you can get a better deal. Um, yeah, hopefully they hang on to these guys. Is my main point." It, it's just frustrating. I don't even know if we're like derailing this conversation into something else, but it's whatever. <laughs> it's almost 1130 at night, uh, episode two here. So we're just rolling with it. Um, like I try to think with the trades. Like if you're another organization, I get it. Like you see this farm system, you see the wealth of riches and you're like, I want more. You see the price of pitching is astronomical. So you it, you can rightfully say, I want this prospect. I want that prospect as well. You want this in, insane package to come in return. You have all the right in the world to, to demand that. But when no one else is going to be able to match that offer or the offers start to dry up, more free agents are signed and teams start to pull out of you know the Dylan Cease race or whatever other, the Luzardo race, whoever the Orioles are in on trade talks, as other offers are rescinded as free agents are signed, 
I just feel like, yeah, you may not get Holiday or Basayo or or Mayo, but if you're a team like the White Sox that doesn't really have much of a farm system, I didn't read that article. I don't know where like the White Sox rank in terms of farm system depth. I imagine it's at or near the very bottom of the league. The major league roster outside of Luis Robert, I mean, it ain't got much there either. Looking at the White Sox specifically, I feel like eventually you've got to cave and be like, the Orioles can still offer you. And I don't think we're overvaluing the guys here when I say you can still offer the White Sox a package that's a starting corner outfielder and, you know, Heston and Kerstad, a starting second baseman in Connor Norby. Uh, you can give them Dean Kramer. I don't care. Take Dean Kramer. There's your major league starter that can fill in. We can also give you another potential starting, a guy in AAA level who is a major league starting potential. Um, that's three guys plus a pitcher and have a couple lottery tickets as well from the DSL, the FCL or whatever. Like eventually you've got to look at that and say, okay, forget about holiday Basayo Mayo. We've got three potential starters in this trade you're offering us. We'll take it. Like when are, when is somebody going to crack at that point? And like, what if, what if the White Sox will just continue on the cease trade? What if the White Sox or any other team don't crack and a trade doesn't get made? Like, what then? What's the sentiment then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't get to that. But uh, trade deadline is going to be crazy. <laughs> I don't you've got to crack. Kicking that can. Keep kicking that can in the road. I just, like, you, you've just got to crack. Like, if you're the White Sox and you got just, I'm just spitball here, but like Heston Kershaw, Connor Norby, Dean Kramer, two lottery tickets. I don't know if you have to throw a Cade Povich, if you want to include that as well. Like, okay. At what point do you say, like, keep saying no to that kind of deal? Like, again, I don't think we're overvaluing the guys when we say, like, that's a completely fair offer. And that's an offer that I would do with a heartbeat if I'm an Orioles fan. I'm all aboard that deal. Like, somebody's going to crack. And it's not going to be Mike Elias saying, okay, fine, take take Basayo. That's not going to happen. No, it's not. It shouldn't. I, I really hope that that's not what it comes to. Um, I. I like Dylan Cease to the extent that I think he makes the Orioles better, but I sometimes look at him in particular that fastball velocity did drop a little bit last year. Um, some of his secondaries weren't as effective. I don't think his regression is entirely due to the fact that he pitched for a bad team. So the White Sox leverage is the thin pitching market. That's their leverage. I'm calling their bluff, and it looks like the Orioles are because – what are you going to do if you keep demanding these insane offers and you don't get them? Are you at this point, you're so far down the road. Are you really going to be like, Nope, fine. We're going to keep him, hold him, see what happens at the trade deadline. But what if he has, I'm not saying he was terrible in 2020, I think he um, was a little bit unlucky in his compared to like his peripherals and stuff like that. But what if he has a similar ERA come the all-star break slash trade deadline? Or what if he gets hurt? Then you're screwed. I just don't see any way they do not trade him before opening day. Yeah. So I it, think the best thing is, hey, look, we can go get another pitcher or you can accept this offer. But if not, this is our offer. Like, come back to us <laughs> and we'll be here unless we went and got someone else. Yeah. If to look at this from a White Sox point of view... I, I do agree. I think I, I make the deal. Like whatever offer is on the table from the Orioles, 
if that's the if you think that's the best offer, but you're holding out for more because you're like, well, you've got all of that. You can just give us. You're offering us a hundred bucks. I see two hundred in your wallet. Give me twenty more. Like if that's what they're holding out for. If from a White Sox perspective, that's dumb because, like you said, what if he comes out next year and tanks? What if he does get hurt? What if that regression is real? And like for, as an Orioles fan, that sucks. That's going to hurt a lot. But at the same time, from the White Sox perspective, it's like make the deal. And if he's rebounds with the Orioles and the Orioles turn him into something, a uh, number two, or even if he's just a really good number three in this organization, fine. So be it. But like your organization is a dumpster fire right now. You're not going to win any baseball games this year. You're probably not going to win any baseball games next year. Like do you got to do something if you're Chicago, you can't let this opportunity pass you by. And it, it feels like panic to me right now, a little bit from, from their perspective, just because all of a sudden, Oh, they're talking to the Yankees all of a sudden. Oh, Chris gets is out in the media saying, you know, all these comments, but you were talking with the Braves. They moved on to something else. You were talking with who there was like three teams that were associated with them, the Reds, and they just went a different direction because they were frustrated with their negotiating style. So at, at, at some point, the levy is going to break. Who else? Yeah, timing always. Go ahead, Nick. I just say, like, who, what other starters are out there on the market now, too? Like, I know somebody had tweeted out, like, the all free agent team that's still uh, available. And I'm trying to just scroll and find this. I'm not going to be able to find it in time. Uh, here you go. All free agent team. So Blake Snell is still a free agent, Jordan Montgomery is still a free agent. Those are two really good pitchers. Like, what if the Yankees do get Snell um, or they're able to get, I know they've been in talks with Stroman. Like, what if they get Stroman and somebody else because they need multiple pitchers? Like, then the Yankees aren't going to be interested, probably, in going after Dylan Cease. Like, depending on where Snell signs and Montgomery signs and even Stroman, like, that could be more offers that are now off the table because they went off in free agency and got their guys. Like, I agree maybe the cease isn't the right deal. And like, this is all, we're just talking like this for no, for no reason or whatever. But still, I think if the, if we are at this point where there's an offer on the table, it's strong and the Orioles are all for it. Like, just take the deal, man, at this point, like it's frustrating. Knowing our luck with timing, we're recording this on Wednesday night. The cease trade will happen Thursday afternoon. Yep. It is going to happen. Yeah. Marcus Sherman. <laughs> Marcus Stroman is going to sign with the Orioles, or no? Hinjin Ryu will sign with the Orioles. Uh, Cease will be traded to the Yankees, hey, and Orioles cool. fans will <laughs> beg that the Ravens win a Super Bowl so something good happens in Baltimore. Uwasawa, <laughs> his uh, signing period ends tomorrow as well as we're recording this. Probably mm -hmm. yesterday or the day before. If you're listening to this when it first comes out, um, I think it was the same time as uh, Amanaga who signed with the Cubs. For a cheaper deal than expected, but what if the Pirates decide Mitch Keller is available and Jesus Lazardo? Yeah, we're getting some good offers. He's definitely available. Let's let's pitch him more. Then the White Sox leverage just continues to shrink as more guys become available. Tarek Tarek Skubal is all of a sudden the, the Tigers are listening on him. Well, <laughs> take our deal, White Sox. Take the deal. And I'm sure right now Chris Getz is watching this and really taking this to heart. So, Chris, you know what to do. Just get this deal done so we don't have to talk about this anymore. And we can finally recap a trade when it happens. 
which will hopefully be next week. And before I sign us off here, anything else either of you want to add? Join our Discord. Get in on the fun conversation. We're up to over 130 people on there. Half of them are patrons. Half of them aren't. But it's uh, everyone's getting along. Everything's going smoothly. So join us and uh, have some fun. Yeah. Uh, enjoy the, the, the football playoffs because hopefully it's not the last enjoyment uh, we get. But no, it's the dominoes are, are going to fall, I feel like, in these, this next week. And hopefully this episode is outdated by the time you listen to it um, because the dominoes start falling. But I, I think it's happening. It's got to. The number of free agents and the quality of free agents is so astronomical. I think we'll be back on sooner rather than later for at least one emergency podcast, if not two. Yeah, we probably will. And between now and then, you can check us out on Facebook, X, Instagram, Threads, TikTok, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also check out the other podcasts on the Believe Network. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the Birds. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.